Hi there. I hope you're doing well. This is Samantha. This is the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Today, I'm sharing one of my absolute favorite interviews with one of my favorite people. This is my interview with Becca Piastrelli. Becca guides us to understand our true belonging to each other, to the earth, to our lineage, and to ourselves. She's the author of Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect with the Land, Lineage, Community, and the Earth. And she's also the host of an amazing podcast called Belonging. And through her book and through the podcast, she really supports listeners and readers through the isolating effects of the modern world. I absolutely adore her. I love this episode. I love her book. Um, I'm actually rereading it right now because it's just so good, um, and that made, gave me the idea of re, doing a rebroadcast of this one. Um, in this episode, we talked all about coming home to ourselves, learning from our ancestors, and reuniting with nature. Nature has so much wisdom for us, and Becca really talks about that in this episode. We also talked about loneliness and the importance of belonging to ourselves to a community, to our roots, and to the earth. We also chat about living slowly and what that looks like in a fast-paced world. I think this is the perfect episode as we are slowing down and hopefully slowing down, connecting with others, and maybe this can give us some tips on connecting in community with others. Um, yeah, I absolutely adored this conversation, and I hope you do too. nuance is actually the true nature of life and a lot of us just weren't trained and modeled to hold nuance like binary thinking is capitalist um competition based culture like winners and losers Mm. bad or wrong black or white good or bad yeah and it's it's um yeah to be able to hold the nuance is a complexity that I think we have to build a skill in of understanding and it takes time. So we have to not rush, which is like earth pace, right? Earth pace is so different from inbox pace. Mm. And so how that's like my meditation in life right now is how can I incorporate earth pace into my inbox life? I can't opt out of inbox life. I can't. I mean, I could. Um, I'm going to start by pulling a card for us. This card could be for me or for you or for anyone listening. It could inform the conversation or it could not at all. So I'm thinking about people who are in the future. (laughs) They're doing a little time traveling. Thinking about me and thinking about you. This is nice. Moonstone, which the affirmation is to receive. Hmm. And that's the crown energy center and the properties are clarity, intuition, and higher guidance. I love that. Does that resonate with you at all today? Oh, receptivity. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really in a season of needing support of calling upon and needing support. And, um, as a caretaker, as a common caretaker of a small child and of communities, as a one who sort of defaults to space holder, I've really been in a season. We're recording this in the late winter in the northern hemisphere, of really seeing how 
before like the outwardness of spring comes that uh, it's important for us to pattern in our nervous systems and our bones um, the ability to receive with ease so that we can give with ease. I love that. I love that you said that too about being a common space holder. That really resonates with me that I do that for a living and in, in circles. Um, but then I also tend to do that just as my role as a person as like, yeah, that's just how Sam shows up and she doesn't always have to show up that way. It's okay to receive too. Yeah. And I think for those of us, uh, that tend towards hosting or creating community, um, which is so important and it's a very, it's a vital role in our culture that we make sure we have spaces where we can fully be held. For years, I was just like, oh, I have a circle. I have a moon circle. I have a moon circle. I have communities, but it was like, but I couldn't actually um, surrender into them and be held. I couldn't even, you know, and then what that created is a way I was uh, not being fully in integrity because if I had a vulnerable moment, I'd have to be strong to hold the container. Mm. And so um, I've realized it's vital that we have containers where we are fully supported. I mean, it's just like the way, the way of nature, you know, that we are fed and nourished so that we can feed and nourish others. I love that. And mm. I know a lot of your work centers on looking at the way that nature operates and kind of not mimicking that, but maybe pulling that into our spaces, into our hearts. Um, yeah. Would you like to speak at all to any of that? I know that's a very broad non-question. <laughs> Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to look to the living world. And I think mimicking it is a fine word to use because we are of the living world and what's happened over, you know, the past many generations is there have been systems of power that have convinced us that we are separate from the wild from nature, from the living world, even this term nature, we talk about going out into nature. Have you been into nature lately? And it's as that's a colonial concept to think that we are separate, that we are separate from the earth. And what that does is it keeps us uh, feeling disconnected and lonely. It keeps us feeling like that existential ache, I, I believe, like the original rupture, right, is the separation of, of us human animals from the natural living world. So there are so many directions I can take reconnecting in. And um, I have a book out called Root and Ritual, where I talk extensively about ways we can reconnect with the land, the ways our ancestors knew. And I think that is a truly potent and useful tool for those of us that are feeling moments of struggle or disconnection or a feeling of loneliness. That is a place to start. There is abundance and there is um, kinship in the living world. I love that you said going into nature is not something that aligns with maybe our bodies and that's a colonial concept. Um, what was your path to coming home to yourself or coming home to nature or what did that look like? Yeah. Well, yeah. So 
I talk about in the my book and I like to just cut straight to the like cut to the chase that I was not raised like in the woods. I wasn't raised with like a crinkly-eyed grandmother who like taught me the ways of the plants and I was actually like suburban like a suburban kid who loved like box mac and cheese and like tell I was like TV addict and like loved the mall. My parents would take me camping and I'd be like, I just want to go home. Like, I mean, if I like think way, way back, I definitely was enamored with plants and animals and the sky and dirt. But that was like, I got really into popular culture and it was, and I was really focused, I think on, and succeeding quote, succeeding in this like dominant productivity, capitalist society. And then in my mid twenties, I, it simply was a calling. It was a calling. There was a way in which I was unfulfilled in all of my striving. And it was like little things. It wasn't one, you know, so a lot of people have like a healing moment, like a breakdown or a sickness or something. For me, it was like all of a sudden farmer's market seemed exciting and like the produce aisle was like talking to me and like the way the lemons were displayed at the grocery was like, Oh, okay. And then I started learning about farming and then I like started about fermentation. It was like one little thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And at the time I didn't know what was happening. I thought I was just like had a hobby, you know? Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I'm into DIY or I'm into herbalism. And now I can see that it just built and built and built of a calling back to the land, a calling back to my body as a reflection of the land, a calling back to what I now know the term to be ancestral ways. Uh, and that was very empowering to see how that journey, like, I mean, it was 15 years really of finding my way back. Well, that's beautiful. And I love that you said that it's a calling back because I feel like when we hear calling, we think it's like an external calling or a calling for someone else or a calling to go forward. And you're saying it was really a calling to come back to yourself and to come back to nature, which I think is so beautiful. Yeah. Our, I mean, our, our remembering, that's, that's the term I use a lot because it did feel like a remembrance, kind of a trippy feeling where you're like, yeah. I, I remember I was like making a soup or something, making bone broth, which yeah. is like an, an ancient ancestral recipe, no matter where your ancestors are from. And just like having these visual sort of waking dreams, right? These visual um experiences where I just think about and see like the women around the table stirring the soup on the hearth. And even like before that on like the outdoor stone fires and just being like, we have done this for thousands of years. And I am remembering that because all of that is coded into my DNA. Epigenetics proves this so that it does feel like a coming back and not like a, a new idea. Oh, that's beautiful. I don't know if you can hear my dog. She just went, hmm. Oh, yeah. You like that? <laughs> you like that. That felt good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Mm, so you kind of felt this calling to kind of come back to yourself. What did you start to do once you noticed that calling? 
Well, I started working with my hands at the time I had a little blog called the dabblist and that's, Mm. I can now see how that was like my, I don't know, wise self making this pathway open to me because I associated creating things with my hands, like, I don't know, art or crafts or any of this stuff um, as something I wasn't good at. And I think a lot of this had to do with my perfectionism that is born out of a culture of competition and judgment and really didn't, I didn't feel a lot of space in my life to dabble, to play, to just create for creation's sake and, and be willing to like, you know, mess up and messing up meant I was bad and wrong and I have failed. So I had to create a whole persona, a whole archetype to fully step into and embody where I could play and it could be fine no matter what, even if I mess up, like I tried to make, um, cured salmon and I gave myself food poisoning, (laughs) but it was like, I learned a lot about the preservation of fish, which is <laughs> an ancestral practice from my Scottish ancestors. And I threw up for a whole night, but like, that's just an example of like, it's fine. We learn that way. So, um, yeah, I, I, and I had to share it with the world. So that was back when like blogging and Pinterest were a thing. I mean, there's still kind of a thing Pinterest, but, uh, yeah. And like Instagram, And I would just share and it was resonating with other people. And then I started meeting herbalists. I started meeting like fiber workers. I started meeting people who were in full devotion to this path. And I was like, what? Wow. These people who understand and have hold on to this knowledge and wisdom. And I want to be that, you know, in my life. So it just oriented it oriented my life to, to going towards that. Beautiful. I feel like I'm at a similar place that you're describing where I'm kind of waking up from that existential feeling of like, this can't be what life is. Right. Yeah. And, and feeling called to like herbs and especially mm-hmm. teas for some reason. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and I remember the thought of, well, it would be nice if I could live that way, but that's not the way the world works, but it's, in reality, that's not the way, this isn't the way the world has worked for most of its existence. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It would be nice to live that way. And it isn't how the majority of the world works. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in that too. You know, like I garden for fun. I am not a subsistence farmer, Yeah. you know, I can buy bananas any time of year for my child who will eat a banana a day. And I'm like, if we were on the farm, if we, you know, we were on the farm in our, my ancestral homelands of like, let's say the Scottish Highlands, you wouldn't be having a banana a day, you know, and there's privilege in that too. Um, so yeah, a lot of, I'm, you didn't ask a question. I just sort of took off with it, but I really feel you. I really feel you in that. And, and this is why I wrote the book the book is about, we are alive in this time. Like you and I are talking on the internet right now, you know, and we never would have met if it wasn't for the internet. Yeah. And we would just be living in our, you'd be in your New Mexico life and I'd be in my California life and we never would have met. And like, there's beauty in that. And, you know, like 
it's winter here and my home is, you know, the temperature is controlled and there's all these ways I have privilege and abundance and my ancestors lived so I could be alive in this time. And here I am. And, and so what do we do with that? And I think my whole thesis here is like, okay, well, there's some aspects of being alive now where things don't feel right, right? So we're talking about, so how can we look back to the ways our ancestors lived as a way of bringing more meaning and more resilience to this moment as we move forward, particularly in this time of climate change and like huge paradigm shifts in the culture, time of pandemic, like it's really intense, it's like really intense time in the culture. And so we don't necessarily have to like weave our own wool, uh, but we can support the people on Etsy doing it and we can learn how, and we can remember how to preserve vegetables for the cold winter. And we can remember that like the earth is alive beneath us. Even if we live in this concrete jungle, we can work on this slowly to remember so that we can strengthen our ability to respond to these times. I love that. And I love, and you don't have to apologize. I didn't, because I didn't ask a question doesn't mean you couldn't talk. So don't worry about that. Um, My dog is being so rowdy. (laughs) Usually she's so mellow that time to record. It's actually really fun. It's really fun to see her like hopping around behind you. (laughs) I'm watching her at the camera. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Uh, what I was going to say was, I like that you said that a lot because I think it, we are such black and white thinking people in general. And I think we tend to think we have to be all in or all out or all this way or all that way. When in reality, we can start slow and we can kind of, we can be in the middle. I think it's about being in the middle sometimes. And that's hard. Yeah. Nuance is actually the true nature of mm-hmm. life. And a lot of us just weren't trained and model to hold nuance, like binary thinking is capitalist um, competition-based culture, like winners and losers, Mm. bad or wrong, black or white, good or bad. Yeah. And it's, it's um, yeah, to be able to hold the nuance is a complexity that I think we have to build a skill in of understanding and it takes time. So we have to not rush, which is like earth pace, right? Earth pace is so different from inbox pace. Mm. And so how that's like my meditation in life right now is how can I incorporate earth pace into my inbox life? I can't opt out of inbox life. I can't, I mean, I could, but I'm not going to. So that's how it's going to operate for me to be in this society. Uh, And so how can I disrupt that at an earth's pace is my big question for myself and us. Oh, I love that. And that's something that I really love about your work too. I recently listened to your, um, forgot the exact title, but it was winter rituals on your belonging Mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned in a few episodes about slowing down and living at a slower pace. And I love that. I've really been taking that to heart because I, my brain is a very anxious brain. So it's like moving yeah. quite along. And mm-hmm. I know that in our capitalistic work environment, typically, cause I have a, a job and then my business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's oh, like a wow. busy- that's, <laughs> that's a thing. Wow. I really applaud you. And that's hard. Oh, thank you. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
it is possible to slow down just because my body doesn't feel like it is doesn't mean that it's not possible to slow down. So I love that you really remind people of that. Yeah. Urgency is violence. This is a term I've heard in really my um, research around white supremacy and that urgency is a, is like a, a tendril of that culture. If we're moving quickly, then we aren't stopping to question what we're doing, why we're doing it and who it's impacting, who and what it's impacting. So um, I don't know if you listen to Rising Appalachia, they have a song called Medicine. It says, wise men say rushing is violence. And it's just like, oh my gosh, wow. So like as a a fellow anxious-minded human, uh, I try to remind myself of that, of like urgency is hurting me and it's hurting others. And, you know, sometimes you aren't always, in charge of the pace, but when you can, you know, like when you can take an extra day or two to respond to an email or like you model it for others. This is what I've been thinking about so much is how we can give permission through our behavior that to, to others to slow down, you know, instead of all of us, like quietly, co-signing on the silent agreement of we have to go at this pace. Like, what if we're like, Hey, I actually can't do that. I will get back to you when I can. It's like, well, we can do that. We can do that. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And I love that you said urgency and violence. I'm going to be thinking about that a lot, Yeah. but even thinking on a small scale of my dog and my partner, I tend to be like, let's go. Like we said, we're going to go at nine and it's nine Oh one. Like we need to yeah. be gone now, or, you know, you need to let me know this now. Um, and thinking about how that urgency hurts me and hurts him. And like that, like ripple effect keeps going. And if I did, well, I try to, but <laughs> if I do take on that receptive kind of role and slow down, it also impacts him and impacts the people he's around. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do live in a linear time world. So there are ways we have to, I mean, you and I had an appointment today at 1 PM Pacific and like, of course I'm going to meet that, you know, yeah. but it's like the ways we can carry, it's like we can bend, extend. I, I like playing with like the magic of like expanding time, you know? And it's like, of course, if we have to, if we have to live in the linear time construct, most of the time. How can we work within that to make it feel more expansive? Wow. What are some ways that you found to do that? Uh, To always focus on tending to my care first. Am I thirsty? Do I need to pee? Do I need food? These are three. Do I need to step outside and breathe? Do I need to take a breath? Right. Um, And those always, they don't take a long time. Maybe eating takes the longest of all of those things, you know, but that's one resourcing first. Um, And then instead of uh, initially responding to assess before, is this needed response right now? Is my initial response wise? And these, and, and the, I think I have in my like urgency part of myself, uh, my belief is that uh, time is moving too quickly and I have to keep up, right? And so in that headspace, uh, there isn't time to take care of myself and there isn't time to assess my response. But in another headspace, 
that's where the time expands. Like, oh, wow. Have you ever had an experience where you're like, I have so much to get done. It's going to take forever. And then I, you like put on the right music. Yeah. You're feeling good and you get it done in like half the time. And you're like, yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah. I think the key is, is resourcing ourselves and like making it pleasurable. Making it pleasurable. I love that. And I want to give you a compliment too, that as soon as you hopped on the Zoom, I felt like I was up here like running around. And then I felt like I synced onto your headspace or your energy (sighs) slowness. Uh, And that's, that's such a gift that you're able, like we're on Zoom and you have such a strong energy that I was able to tap into your sense of slowness. Oh, wow. I'm exhausted. Maybe that's what it is. (laughs) Oh, no. No, I mean, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm as resourced as I can be, but yeah, I didn't sleep well last night, but I think that's a, that's actually an interesting way of disrupting the urgency, right? Is like, I didn't sleep well last night and I could have just like chugged a lot of coffee and been like, we got it. But I was like, okay, this is where it's at. (laughs) I'm, I'm really tired today, but so there's like a, I am slower today, but how can we like make that as delicious as possible? I love that. And I, uh, I feel like this is a conversation that's speaking right to me and oh, good. That other people are listening to, but this yeah. is all stuff I've been thinking about in the last week or the last month. So it's so beautiful that you're saying all this mm. for me and for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really up, it's really up for so many of us. Like so many people are burning out Yeah. in these times, you know, for all the reasons, pandemic, we're recording at the end of winter up here in the Northern hemisphere. Like there's just like, I feel like a collective trauma response to like so much that has happened that is hard to even just like digest from a nervous system perspective. And we are thinking about these more important questions. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Hello loves, we're going to take a quick break from our conversation to tell you about my signature group coaching program, the Sensual Wholeness Academy. This is an eight-month program for women and non-binary folk who are ready to let go of shame and claim self-love, sensual empowerment, and somatic healing within an epic community rooted in radical acceptance. The course includes eight modules which dive into content like strengthening boundaries, claiming your true yes and no, transforming shame around sexuality, building a mindful self-pleasure practice, releasing body and genital shame, transforming trauma-inclusive sex education, empowered intimacy, the wheel of consent, and so much more. When you sign up for the Central Wholeness Academy, you get access to live weekly group coaching calls featuring embodiment practices. You get the eight video training modules. You get access to our VIP virtual community space where you receive ongoing support throughout the whole program. You get guided journal prompts, community to last a lifetime, and bonus workshops with amazing guests. If you're someone who's ready to let go of shame or numbness 
and claim the sensual empowerment and self-love you deserve, then your next step is to go to marleylist.com SWA. You'll also see the link for that in the show notes. So here you'll see plenty more details about the program and you'll be able to set up a free consultation call with myself where you'll receive personalized support and explore if this is a fit for you. So I'm so looking forward to connecting with you on this call. You're so worthy and capable of this reclamation. This episode is sponsored by Dr. Marie Tuin of Love Insight. Dr. Marie wants you to design the relationship life that you desire. As your mindful dating and relationship coach, Marie will guide you to align your thoughts and actions with your heart's unique truth. She'll invite you to cultivate intentionality and authentic self-expression around your values, your self-image and self-worth, your boundaries and desires, and the way that you communicate with others, both online and in real life. You'll leave no stone unturned and remove any blocks that stand in the way of feeling completely aligned with your love path. Marie believes in the beauty of diversity and love and works with people of all backgrounds, ages, sexual orientations, and relationship styles. Please reach out to Dr. Marie and schedule a free 30-minute exploratory session at www.loveinsight-dating.com. The link is also in the show notes. Love is always in sight with Love Insight. Someone recently gave me the gift of saying, show up as you are, even on Zoom meetings. So that looks like maybe not sitting in a chair and like sitting in a comfy chair or sitting in bed. Mm. And I realized I can do that even when I'm at work. Like I don't have to be maybe all the way laying down at work, but we can show up physically how we are. We don't have to smile when we're not happy. We don't have to laugh when nothing's funny. And that's just- Right. Being more embodied. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. I've been in that practice too, of like yeah. doing meetings in a way, like wearing comfier clothes, you know, <laughs> and like <laughs> what's going to make me feel more in my body instead of like performing something that doesn't feel true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. I would think of performative more in a sexual way, but we perform constantly and maybe we could perform a little less at times yeah hmm. I, I'm always thinking about that because I think I'm a natural performer it might be my Leo son but I think it's also just like been modeled for me of like everything's okay I like everything's okay mm-hmm. in my like family of origin and yeah like how can I be more authentic to my experience um without being so performative. Yes. Oh, I love that. My word of the year is authenticity. Beautiful. There's a lot to it. (laughs) Um, So I did want to talk a little bit about your book. I mean, I know we're already talking about it, but I know it's divided into four parts. And I was wondering if you could maybe touch on those four and maybe expand them for us a little bit. Yeah. So the book is called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. So those are the four sections of the book. And those four areas are really what I stumbled upon, what I have been working with in my own pursuit of feeling a deeper sense of connection 
roots in the ground, meaning, belonging in my life. Um, so the land section I talked about a little bit already about feeling disconnected and maybe even repulsed by quote nature and how to feel a deeper reverence for the earth because um, I the first step to being actively engaged in this climate crisis is to have a, lo- a deep love for the you know good green animate earth. And then there's the lineage section where I talk about our ancestors. Ancestors can mean a lot of different things. The people we are descended from by blood, um, the more than human realm, um, affinity ancestors, teachers, and really understanding and giving reverence to this term lineage, which we've also as a culture sort of cut ourselves off from, um, whether because of harm or because of, you know, the amnesia of colonization that has us sort of like think in the ways of exploitation rather than honoring of passing down and sharing of um, resources. So um, I share a lot of my ancestral stories there, um, hard ones, beautiful ones, um, magical ones, and I invite the reader to do the same. And then the third section is community, which is just like such a... uh, deep longing and ache people come to me about whether it's to have like a circle of magical women they meet with or to just like make friends as an adult or feeling the deep pain of loss of community loss of friendship Um, that's a really big one and there I talk about rituals like rites of passage rituals to have in community how to start a women's circle how to honor each other and give a be in a place of community care around things like grief and death. And then the final section is self. Just can't talk about belonging and connection to all these things without first um, remembering that a lot of us feel rejections of part of ourself, a sense of unworthiness. I talk about body. I share my body story a little bit and how particularly in this um, world of Um, the beauty industrial complex. A lot of us just don't feel a sense of belonging in our own bodies. And I talk about um, my devotion to seasonal and cyclical living and an invitation for the reader to do that. Um, I I sprinkle throughout the book recipes, journal prompts, and rituals. And in the final section, I invite you to make a talisman of um, protection and magic and you finish with writing a letter to your future self. So it's, I take it on a journey and also it's very nonlinear. I find people are drawn to one of those four areas, like one pings, you know, like it's, oh, I'm feeling a lot of aching in community. I'm feeling a lot of aching in self. And I just say, it's choose your own adventure, open up the book and, and start with what feels um, like the most important to you now. Oh, I love that. I love that it's nonlinear too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so excited to read it. I've been a fan of your podcast and I actually wanted to tell you this, that I did your uh, five day or five video series about uh, community yeah. and the, the videos you did. Uh, and you did one practice where you rubbed, I think is an oil that you made on, mm-hmm. maybe it was your arms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did that after I watched that, I rubbed some oil on my stomach and mm-hmm. my stomach and 
it really had a beautiful impact in how I felt in my body. Yeah. I give that in the book as well. I'm so glad you did that. Yeah. First I share how to infuse an oil with plants. And then I invite in, into a, the reader into a ritual of body oiling, which is an ancestral practice of connecting with your body and also being able to um, like feel if like something's wrong, if something's happening in your body. So many, of us, so many of us don't touch our bodies enough to be connected with how our bodies are doing. Uh, and then like you're saying, I, I talk to my arms and you talk to your stomach the places that our body that could use our love, could use our affirmation, could use our gratitude. Uh, that's, that's a practice I invite anyone to do tonight uh, because um, our body's listening to our thoughts. I know, so true. I know that for myself and for so many people I work with, we tend to really exist up here in our headspace and maybe our shoulders. And we're so disconnected oftentimes from the part of it that's under that yeah and it can be hard to get back into our body so I love those those practices that are so tangible of how to get back into ourselves yeah and they're often quite simple and simple is okay simple is is best really because then it can land and integrate into our nervous system so that we can change our state change our way of being in this world I love that. And you're so right. Simple is best. I know that I feel like when I started on this path of healing, I was like, time to read 10 books. Time yeah. to like see Our as default. many therapists as I can, but right. actually slower is, but not as slow, not only is slower, more practical, but slower is actually better too. It'll integrate deeper. Yes. Oh, you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love that you said love for the earth too, of of that being a way to connect to the earth, especially in this crisis we're having. I feel like um, a lot of us are like, oh, the earth is failing us. I guess we got to take care of the earth. You know, it's not really like, I love the earth and I want to take care of it. It's more like, you know, Mm -hmm. I guess since it's letting me down, I will. So I like Mm -hmm. that you, you came at it from that perspective too. Yeah, well, that is an ancestral perspective Mm. of like, we are of the earth, like our bodies and the earth are one. We come from the earth, we go back to the earth. The earth feeds us, you know, literally nourishes us. We are not separate from it. And this, you know, colonial mindset of it is just a source of extraction and that we are not in reciprocity, giving back to the earth. I talk about practices of reciprocity in the land section of the book like how many times are we just looking at a flower and saying I want to pick that for me are we asking the flower are we thanking the flower I mean I'm serious this these are ancestral practices indigenous practices and we are all indigenous to the earth all of us and I mean again I grew up like suburban mac and cheese Nickelodeon kid who just like didn't have a clue about reciprocity. I've just been humbled into this remembrance, right? Of these ways that our ancestors once knew because the earth is what sustains us. And to be in a love of the earth is to be in a grief over what is being lost, these mass extinctions, warming of our waters, 
I live in a drought parched area that fires have just ripped through. I'm sure fires are near you too. Water is precious near you to feel that, right. It's so scary. So much of us, so many of us just like are paralyzed or just like, I can't look at it. It's like, yeah. let's cry. Let's wail for this because we have to stay engaged. This is our, this is our only home. This is our only home. Um, and that's intense. That's intense. Um, but it is also what we need to return to. Wow. That's beautiful. And you're so right about uh, feeling aversive to looking at that because it's painful. I feel it every yeah. day. I'm like, <laughs> close my eyes, watch Netflix, but it's like, yeah, we gotta yeah. be in it. Yeah, and I think we're at a point too where we can't not look at it. Mm-mm. Or we could not, but we feel it and it's it's around us and there are the obvious signs of it all around us. It's It's not easy to ignore anymore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about loneliness as well. I know that um, a lot, that's a lot of the work that I heard you talk about in your podcast, and I know you touch on it in the book as well, or maybe more than touch on it. Sounds like a lot of space. Yeah. I I had a teacher um, maybe five years ago, talk about how we are living in the Aramacene and this is uh, ERE Mocene, it's supposed to like, and we're also in the Anthropocene, right? Where uh, well, the impact of history is really mostly focused or on the earth is, is focused by um, human behavior. And the Aromacene also means we live in the age of loneliness. Uh, and that just like resonated with me yeah. because we are more technologically connected than ever before. And yet mental health is being measured in like drastically increasing numbers around a sense of loneliness. And I mean, this was all before the pandemic at the pandemic and it was like, whoa, lots of suffering in isolation. And I've, I've just been in my own inquiry and research around the history of one, separating humans from the land and two, separating humans from each other. And this like, uh, the, the devastation that um, like nuclear family, single or nuclear single family living has done to us as a culture. Well, that's like most in the industrialized world. That's not the whole world. Uh, and it's sort of the rubric for success is like, can you make it alone? Hyper individualistic, rugged individualistic society. I'm interested in it as one who still has that belief in her of like, well, I can do it on my own. I don't need any help. Yeah. So, and also someone who's always like been extroverted, make friends, blah, 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 but has always felt lonely. Like the loneliness never left. The loneliness is like sitting right next to me right now. It's just like in my life. So um, that's really like, that is what the book is based on is we are lonely as a culture. And as humans, and how do we return to a sense of connection and belonging and meaning? And so the four sections are areas in which we can cultivate practices, reflections, deeper rituals around softening that sense of loneliness and really increasing that sense of belonging. Um, And I often get questions then about like, especially from introverts who are like, I love being alone. Uh, 
Yeah. Like I love being alone. I mean, I mean, I'm married to one. He loves being alone and, um, or folks who have just like been burned by relationships who are just like, I want to rely on myself. Like, that's just where it's at. Like, that's what I want. That's what feels good. And I honor that feeling. And I have to say loneliness is different from solitude. I too love my alone time, you know, but, um, loneliness is a pain state. Solitude is a resourcing state. Loneliness hurts. Loneliness, um, is uncomfortable and, um, impacts us negatively. And, you know, when I talk about a sense of feeling connected, I don't just mean with people, you know, I don't mean like we all have to hang out together. I mean, like, can you sit on the base of a tree and feel like the kinship of the roots beneath you and the rocks and stones around you? Like, can you sit with your own self and feel the way in which you are with yourself? Can you call upon your ancestors and feel like the bright and well ones holding you and supporting you and rooting for you? Uh, and that it's like a deep and long path. So coming back to simple and slow, these are big concepts that contend that have us contending with hard things, uh, but that it's still a worthy path to go down because we are in a time where we're alone and feeling lonely and disconnect from each other. And the way forward is to remember how to be in community. Wow, that's beautiful. Hmm. I love what something, I don't know if you said this, but it's something I took from that, which is kind of blending that with our conversation about authenticity. When we go into the world, we kind of maybe abandon part of ourselves at home because we're performing or we're maybe not being authentic in some way. And then maybe that's why being alone can feel so good is because we're finally connected with ourselves. So it's mm. like, we're feeling lonely because we're missing that part of ourselves. Or even when we are mm. alone, we're not connecting with that part of ourselves. We're alone, but maybe we're feeling empty. Um, There's so many areas. Yeah. To look at and to touch upon which is why I say just like start with the one that feels like it's the deepest ache. Is it being alone with yourself and just like being with your thoughts, being with your feelings, being with what's like aching for you, you know, or is it like, I just need deep and meaningful friends or is it, I want to go on a walk outside and feel like I am a monk's kin. Like, what is it? And start there. I like that a lot. Uh, I would love to talk about community as well. I know that, like you said, you're a space holder for a lot of people. Um, but how would you, how did you go about finding people in your community or finding that connection to community? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it really starts with an intention, like deep prayer, like saying out loud to whoever you say those things to the universe, angels, guides, ancestors, the trees, like what it is you really want and are calling to be specific. That was what it was first. It was like, I want like where the witch is at, like where are those <laughs> deep soul sisters who I want to grow, grow with. And they appeared and yeah, I went out in the world and, 
um, like went to the places that I love, like the farmer's market and like, like hiking and like to my favorite cooperative grocery store and the tea house, you know, like the places I love and looked at who was there uh, and making myself open, you know, complimenting a stranger, um, even if it's awkward, right? Like hanging after yoga class and saying hi, like these, it, it just happened. There's, I can't give a roadmap to creating community. I don't think that's right. Cause we're all so different. We all do it in different ways, but I, I, so what I can say for certain for everyone is like deep intention and being open to what comes through and like the webs we weave, you know, one connection leads to the next leads to the next. And, um, for the people who are listening, who are like, sounds great, but like where I live, no one's doing cool stuff. Um, you're probably the one who's going to have to do the cool stuff. Like we must create the community we crave. So many of us are sitting in our homes, wishing we lived in a cooler place where people do cool things. We could be invited, get the invite, do it. You can do it. Cause the cool people are everywhere. We all have, we all have this yearning to be deeply connected. Even if you're meeting someone, you're like, they don't want to go deep. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And maybe yeah. it's a little clunky and no one knows that, but you can do it together. So like make, you know, put the flyer up at your coffee shop or make the Facebook, you know, event invite or meetup invite and, and be willing for it to be a little, you know, nervously giggly. Um, but we have to create the community we crave now. And virtual spaces are really real too. If, if mm-hmm. someone's really so um, isolated, there's this community of people all over the world that we can connect with too. Yeah, I really some... do love the aspect of connecting with those around you if you can. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's so many beautiful communities that have popped up, particularly in the last couple of years. Yeah. Just be willing to explore, see what resonates and be open, be open to it. Yeah, be open. Yeah, I like that. Um, We were talking about Ellen Gilbert before we pressed record that she's a mutual connection and she started a moon circle where I'm from. And that was the first time I had, and it was actually virtual at the time. Now it's not, but um, that was the first time I had been around groups of people that were Mm like-minded and it made me realize, and actually um, a little side note, I met one of the people in the moon circle in my community but I didn't even talk to her. I was like, hi, how are you? I'm good. Bye. (laughs) And then I realized this woman who lived down the street from me, uh, had the same feelings and emotions and yearns and aches that I had. And yet I wouldn't have connected with her otherwise. And Mm -hmm. that really taught me that if I open my eyes and be open to it, I can find friendship anywhere. Perfect example. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm Awesome. Becca, you're so amazing. I would love to. (laughs) Um, Is there anything that we didn't touch on today that you would like to cover? Oh, I trust whatever flows in these conversations. (laughs) Yeah. I would just say for anyone listening, who's curious um, about the book, it's called Root and Ritual. You can get it anywhere on the internet, ask your local bookstore to carry it. That's like my little call to action. Um, and yeah, bring your journal with you, find a cozy space to curl up with it and see what comes of it. Love that. 
Well, would you give our listeners either a challenge or a resource to focus on this next week? Mm. Yeah, sit with your back against a tree. Even if it's in the middle of a city, sit with your back against a tree and really feel beneath you the roots going down into the earth, even if it's beneath cement. Feel the roots going down and then visualize what's beneath you. The whole vast ecosystem that's beneath you and remind yourself that that is true anywhere you walk anywhere i love that and you actually have a meditation on your instagram that's really perfect for imagining those roots going down i do yeah and it's in the book yeah oh beautiful beautiful Mm. thank you Uh, I'm excited to hear from people who are sitting against trees this week. Me too. Let me know. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And so your book, Root and Ritual. um, And can you tell us where to find your podcast, what your website is? um, Do you work with people? All the good stuff. I am on a post-book launch, post-baby sabbatical wintering time so um the only way to really connect with me is um by getting the book and listening to my podcast my podcast is called belonging you can search it anywhere that's the one that's not the mega church one it's the other one with becca p Estrelli. just so people get confused uh and yeah i'm on instagram sometimes becca p Estrelli. if you just like type a version of that in the algorithm finds me um, yeah. And when I'm ready to come out and for my, when my spring comes to my, my, the sun warms my bones, I'll be back out in the world. But right now I'm in a period of pretty deep rest. I love that. And thank you for giving us the permission to be in a deep rest too. Yes. You are most invited to do that. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Becca. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. If you liked this episode, it would mean the world to me and my guest if you would rate and review this podcast. Um, You can do that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Spotify actually just created a new option to rate your favorite podcasts. Um, So that would be a wonderful way to help the show grow and also just to show me some support and love. Or maybe you'd like to send this episode to someone you think would benefit from it. Um, If you'd like to tag me or my guests on social media or comment on this episode post, you can find me on Instagram at empowered.spirituality. And on that Instagram uh, account, I also share things related to holistic health, uh, menstrual cycle awareness, uh, movement, um, and all kinds of things. So I would love for you to give me a follow over there. And lastly, I am taking clients for one-on-one session work. I offer three and six months programs with the option to keep going. Um, in these one-on-one coaching containers, we really get to do a deep dive of spirituality, if that's something that interests you, or if not, we don't touch it. Um, movement, 
food, your menstrual cycle if you have one. And we also really do a deep dive into our intuition and our authenticity. And we also look at things like how much we're consuming alcohol and substances. And we use a really intuitive, flexible framework for approaching these things that we're really taught are strict uh, in our culture. So I'd love to see you over there. My website is empoweredspirituality.online and you can book a free consultation call. But until next time, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next Thursday.